At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shade. Tesla stressed the importance of energy, frequency, and vibration. And although not well known, Tesla is far more famous than an equally brilliant inventor from the same time period. This man's name is Royal Raymond Reif, the inventor of the universal microscope, the most sophisticated device of its kind and far more powerful than even contemporary microscopes used in today's top research facilities. Reif identified 60 pathogens in the body and more importantly 60 corresponding frequencies to devitalize pathogens allowing the body's immune system to process and overcome any illness spawned by these pathogens. After nearly 100 years of a prevailing paradigm that does not allow holistic healing, leaving many clueless about Rife and the healing potential of his practice, and hundreds of online hoaxers only compound the confusion. It seems like a sad state of affairs, but not so today. We are lucky to be joined by Stephen A. Ross, a man who just so happened to get his hands on Rife's universal microscope, along with Rife's papers, and not by happenstance. You see, Ross is co-founder of the World Research Foundation. His penchant for actually following his dreams, verbatim, and letting the guidance received therein lead Ross on an amazing journey through the worlds of health, philosophy, spirituality, and subtle energy. He's even crossed paths with Manly P. Hall and brought to print the unpublished pages of Hall's seminal work, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. Ross is on quite a journey, so sit back and enjoy this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Stephen A. Ross.
built the world's most powerful microscopes, even today, the universal would be 10 times greater than any light source microscope that exists. People are aware of microscopes that do one and two million, the electron microscope. But back in his day, and for a long time, you just looked at shadowing and you could not look at anything live. Rife built a microscope that magnified 60,000 diameters and he could watch viruses and specimens live. And what he decided to do was to find frequencies that would kill, or he used the word, devitalize these pathogens. So how does this work? Well, when a singer sings, hitting the right frequency can break a glass, can destroy it because the resonant frequency of that sound with the glass, the molecules in the glass. Now, if you think about two opposing forces aimed at each other going exactly the same speed, they will nullify themselves. So Rife reasoned, well, when I'm looking through my microscope at any virus or bacteria, it is glowing in its own unique color. That means the virus of cancer was a ruby red color, tuberculosis was an emerald green. So Rife's going, well, wait a minute. Color is a rate of vibration. So what would happen if I turn that vibration back against the element that's putting it out? Much the same as the two opposing equal forces. Well, knowing something was in the ruby red, he started in the red spectrum of frequency, basically looked through the microscope, turned the dial, and when he got to a certain frequency, the color disappeared. That virus, microbe, or bacteria was dead, destroyed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are back again on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and I am so excited to have this guest with me today. He is somebody who, like our previous guest, friend Ronnie Pontiac, worked very closely with the very well-known Manly P. Hall, whose work inspired this very podcast, not just this episode, but the entire thing. If I didn't find his work at such a young age, I might not have treaded this path the way I have. So it's truly an honor to have this gentleman here with us today. His name is Stephen A. Ross. I'm going to call him Steve. And Steve, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. You have so many areas of interest, but today we're going to be focusing specifically on Raymond Reif. But before we get to Raymond... Tell the folks a little bit about yourself and what brings you to a show like this. First of all, Mark, thank you so much. And I smile every time I hear the title of your show. It's very clever. I have two streams that have really run through my life. One of them has to do with alternative medicine. The other with spirituality. Now, I was running track and field at my university in the Los Angeles area and a gardener had left a sprinkler head in my running track, 100 meters, and I sustained a knee injury 
and was sent to the sports position for the L.A. Rams, Dodgers, and Lakers, Dr. Curlin, who said, I'd have to have surgery or I wouldn't be able to compete. For a second opinion, I was sent to UCLA, and Kareem Jabbar was running, was playing basketball for John Wooden, so I'm dating myself right now. Also, Ducky Drake said, surgery. Well, I was very dejected, went back to my trainer's room, and right next to a whirlpool was a popular mechanics magazine. has nothing to do with medicine. There was a technique I read. I call up Dr. Curlin. I was 19 years old. He said, that's holistic garbage. That's crap. It will never work. And I said, well, what do you know about it? And he said, I don't know anything, but son, this is America. And if we don't have it, nobody has it. And I decided to use it myself. I missed five weeks of training. And that year I finished fifth in the United States for my event in small college. But Mark had planted a seed for me. Why did these experts say it was garbage and yet it worked? What other things exist in this world we're not told about in the U.S.? And so I began traveling all over the world, seeing what therapies exist that we don't know about. And behind me, you see a library now of my journeys around the world. Now, four years later, I meet a Native American Indian who tells me all my future guidance is going to come in my dreams. And I remember laughing, thinking, I don't even remember my dreams. And if I do, they're very silly. I'm in a car, then it turns into a bike and then a donkey. But one week later, and it took a week because I was so anxious to have a dream, I couldn't get to sleep. I had a dream. I followed that dream. I can tell you later if there's an interest there. But I then began having five to six dreams a night, every night for four months, about my personality, likes and dislikes, a reoccurring dream where I was in a library. There was a line of people, a podium in front. And when I got up, I looked up and the librarian says, we would now like you to study Paracelsus. We would like you to study Pythagoras. And this has been for the last 50 years. I have followed dreams all over the world, including how I ended up with the right microscope based on a dream. So I'm sorry to talk for so long without no. breathing, but this is my background. The spirituality, spirit world, dreams, and natural alternative medicine. Wonderful. Yeah, there are no need for those types of apologies on this show. The longer winded an answer, the better. I have the patience okay. for sure. And I do have an interest as well. I'd like to hear about that dream you, you mentioned. So I understand that the first dream may have been profound, but you had many dreams that followed that. And it eventually got to the point where you were directly instructed to study certain people and subjects in your dreams. Wow. I mean, I too, although my dreams aren't silly, I do find myself 
in a car and then in a hotel and then in a, a forest. And I wake up thinking, what kind of adventures is my mind pushing me to go on? Is this some sort of message yes. that I'm staying in one place for too long or something like that? That's at least my experience. But tell us a little bit about yes. these dreams. That, that first dream. So after the one week and getting in the right state, I saw a hand and the finger point to a book. The book opens up, and it's a book of animals. And I hear the voice, and I recognize that voice, and it pointed to a particular animal. Now, before I tell you the animal, I thought, oh, my gosh, that is Bob. He was a volleyball player with me three years ago. This was not something I was happy about. But I decided at 23 to call Bob, and I call him up. I said, Bob, is there something bothering you about me? And he goes, what are you talking about? I ask him a second time, is there anything bothering you? No. I ask him a third time. I don't even know why. He goes, are you sick? What's your problem? Why are you? And I said, I want to be a better person. I don't know why. And he said, Steve, there is something that's bothered me. My heart started thumping. And he said, do you remember when we played the six-man team? Yes. Do you remember what you did to our teammate, Harold? I said, no. He said, every time Harold, who was our seventh player, would come into the game and make a mistake, you would glare at him. You didn't talk. You glared at him. Now, this is still Bob talking. When Harold and I would go out for pizza later, he would throw up because he couldn't win your approval. You were the All-American, and I thought you were a real hog. You know what the picture book? It, it was a hog. And Mark, I was like, I hadn't been into metaphysics. I didn't know anything, and I was shocked. And then for four months, five to six dreams a night, and then all I would get is a telephone number, just a telephone and the next morning, I would look at a number and go, what am I going to do? But here's how clever. I'll ask if Jim's there. So I would call up the number and say, is Jim there? And a voice would say, Steve, we're waiting for you. We have something for you. And I would go to that location in the world and was given information, parchments, lost healing devices, now, if you and I met at a party and I told you this story, you'd you probably wouldn't, but you'd go, but you can see the backdrop behind me is all of the things I have been guided to caretake throughout my life. And that is what you see and has been part of my journey. Wow. Wow. We have so much in common in that way. I feel like Every time I step into a used bookstore, I'm like a, an ark and some books are saying, save me, get me out of here. And I live very close to Yale University. So there's some quality bookshops in that area. And I tend to think that if, if I don't get my hands on some of these metaphysic books, they might just end up in the laughing stock of some academics break room, right? At one of the Mark, campuses. you are so, so right. And... <laughs> That is why I just consider myself a caretaker. There, there's, I can tell you so many stories about these books, the devices, how they came. And I, I take the caretaking very 
seriously. And I can't tell you throughout my life, I had heard some great philosopher or scientist died maybe a week before. And by the time I got there, their family had tossed all of the materials. You would think, why? Well, sometimes the family thought their own father or brother was a kook and the materials went into a dumpster. So whenever I get an inkling, a dream, I hear something, I get on it. So I admire and I'm glad to see you youngins are following the path. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And I've always felt like it's intuition pulling me into the right bookshop at the right time and to the right shelf. I mean, I have my favorite sections, but sometimes I'm drawn to the history section for some reason, and I find yes. something that really ought to belong in the metaphysics section or that kind of opportunity has led to so many conversations on this podcast, really, because collecting books first and then becoming a podcaster, I had a, an immense list of people who, as long as they're still alive, I could interview. And I've done that with many of the authors that are on my shelf. And unfortunately, much too late, I came too late to the game to interview someone like Manly P. Hall or even uh, a Raymond Reif. But yeah, we need folks like you, sir, out there collecting and preserving this stuff because, yeah, who knows where it would end up otherwise. I yeah. I, I love the opportunity. In the Midwest, I'm not, I'm on the East Coast, but in the Midwest, there's a great book chain called Half Price Books, and I'd make a road trip out there if I had the money <laughs> just to go and filter through what they have. But before we get tangent away on books here, I'd like to focus on Raymond Reif because in your book you write that Royal Raymond Reif was born May 16th 1888 in Elkhorn Douglas County Nebraska and although he was not a medical doctor Reif started his research working on tuberculosis Reif believed that something was taking place with the disease below the level of the bacteria and this needed to create greater this need to create greater magnification was the impetus to create microscopes that could see viruses. So Reif created at that time what was the strongest microscope. But most people, when they think of a microscope, they think of maybe it's analogous to a binocular. It's analogous to a telescope just in the inverse, right? Instead of seeing something far away, you can see something very tiny close up. But it seems like this breakthrough led to more than that because to understand a microscope you need to understand lenses and light and even vibration right so tell us a little bit about raymond rife and maybe even how you first encountered him in his work i think starting with the story of how would be apropos to what i'll be sharing later and that is i was doing research on one of the most profound individuals in the use of color, chromotherapy. His name was Dinshaw Gadali. And I was acquiring various books, but one day I had a dream to go to our famous bookstore in the LA area called the Bodhi Tree Bookstore. And you're going to find a lot of the people in LA, actors, actresses, all went to the Bodhi Tree Bookstore. So the dream was to go into the used book section go to a particular bookcase, reach behind a shelf, 
not take a book out, reach behind the books, and I would find something. So I assumed it was going to be on color. So I couldn't wait for the bookstore to open. I drive down there on a Saturday, went to the bookcase, went to the bookshelf, reached behind, and marked, there is a book. The book is called New Light on Therapeutic Energies by Mark Gallard. And so I opened it up, and here's a chapter on Din Shagadali and color. And I was like, wow. So I take it home. I'm reading it. And then I notice two chapters later, there's something about Royal Raymond Rife and this microscope. So I read about it and I go, holy smokes, this thing was developed in the 30s. So I call a good friend of mine, Dr. Harry Lusk. This was 1983. He was president of a hospital. And I said, Harry, have you ever heard of a super microscope called the Rife Universal? He goes, and by the way, Harry was in his late 80s. He goes, yeah, when I was a young fellow, when I'm going, well, that's already a long time ago, he said there was talk of this super microscope. And then Harry says, Steve, about 10 years earlier, I met this man who claimed to have it, and he gave a little presentation. I said, Harry, do you have that man's number? Who is it? And he said, Steve, I've moved three times. I have no idea where the phone number is. And every time I called it, he never answered. Well, the next day, Mark, Harry calls me. He goes, Steve. I go, Harry, what's the matter? Steve, I stepped out of my bed, and the paper with the telephone number was on the floor. I said, what? So I'm always joking. I said, maybe you just do bad housework, Harry. He goes, Steve, there's no way. Anyway, I call. I get the phone number. I call. John Crane answers the phone, and he goes, who is this? Are you with the FBI, the CIA? He goes through all these three letters. I go, no, I want to know about your microscope. He said, okay, come three days later. So Harry made me a promise. I have to take him. So three days later, Harry calls me in the morning. Steve, believe this or not, I have to deliver a baby. I said, you got to be kidding me. So I called John Crane again, delayed it. Harry, delivering another baby, I said, Harry, I'm going on my own. So I meet John Crane. He had befriended Royal Rife when Rife was a drunkard and needed money. He had all of the slides of research, 500 personal letters of Rife, the one and only one universal microscope. One year later, after befriending John Crane, he gave me that microscope, and I physically had the universal Rife microscope, not a Rife machine, but the original Rife microscope, 500 personal letters of Rife, a lot of originals, newspaper clippings, and I think of your audio, too, here is Rife's original lab book with his frequencies for the 60 various diseases and illnesses. 
And so I had the Rife microscope for two years, took numerous pictures of it. What happened after that is why I wrote an entire book. But and you and I will talk more about it. But here's my statement. 99.99% of everybody I've met who talks about the Rife microscope does not know what they're talking about. They borrow from one website after another. Now, when I was young, there was a game called Whispers. What would happen is a teacher would get 10 kids in a line in elementary school, whisper something in the ear, they all talk, and after the 10th or 20th, it's gibberish. And so I will state, because I had the Rife microscope, I had 500 letters, I have personal documents that people generally do not know what they're talking about, unfortunately. And we'll get more into it, but I wanted to at least lay the foundation that what I'm sharing is coming. I will make this statement. I do not believe there is anybody alive right now who has actually seen that microscope. I met some people who died 10 years ago who I know saw it, but the people now, it's basically conjecture. Right. And to be clear, Rife, he's well known for what is called the Rife machine, but that device is a little different from what he originally invented. And I wonder if that was even invented by him or if it was just given his name because of his research kind of making way for that to be invented. Mark, I, I love that you asked that because... I just showed you his original book. It had 60 frequencies for 60 diseases and illnesses. These Rife devices, with their 5,000, 10,000 frequencies, where did those come from? See, I ask people, and I don't mean to be hard-headed with this. I'm kind of a dinosaur. If somebody's going to call it a Rife device... Rife used a device that took a nanosecond. It was the frequency was run through a gas. Boom. These devices that go 30 minutes or an hour. Rife didn't work on arthritis. Rife didn't work on all of these various ch health challenges that they have frequencies for. So I'm not the policeman of the world, so I don't go out and say, hey, but if somebody comes to me and says, What do you think? I'm going to say, here are the letters. Here is his original frequency book. What are you talking about? And unfortunately, people have used these Rife machines in the 80s, and some of the states banned them because people either got hurt. So Rife's name goes through the mud. And then you have something like the Wikipedia, which, by the way, I dearly hate saying that Rife purportedly built a microscope. Nobody knew what they were looking at. It's just garbage from people in the field and misstatements from people in medicine. So he knew the doctors were, oh my God, E.C. Rose now from the Mayo Clinic, John Hopkins, USC School of Medicine. He had the who's who of the world of medicine working with him they knew exactly what they were looking for. They built frequency devices. They treated 60 terminal cancer patients at the Mary Ellen Scripps Ranch 
in La Jolla, California, and they had virtually 100% success. So the wild stories that people give now, while they sound interesting and people claim they're smarter than rife, I am glad that you are doing the show and I can kind of at least set the record straight. But, Mark, I'd like to share a little story with you if I can. Please, go right ahead. The story goes like this. Aristotle was walking along the banks of the Mediterranean. And in the distance, he spied a figure with a bucket taking water from the Mediterranean and putting it in a hole. When he got up to the man, he saw it was the village madman. And Aristotle says, what are you doing? And the man says, I am going to empty all of that water into this hole so I can see that beautiful blue-green bottom. So Aristotle looks and says, how are you going to get all of that into that little head of yours? So Aristotle looks at him, and the man says, great philosopher, what are you doing? Aristotle says, I am contemplating the universe. And the man says, how are you going to get all of that in that little head of yours? I'm sharing this story because I am never saying what I share is the gospel. It is only my perspective of my gleanings, my travels. So I don't want to come across as I can only give my perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's the best approach, a non-dogmatic open-minded approach. And it seems like Raymond Rife has fallen victim to what happens, I think, to countless other men who make breakthroughs of this kind. They're hit with diversionary propaganda that takes people off the wrong track and ends up really mischaracterizing the original intention and the original invention, really, which is something that's meant to uplift. And I wonder what that says about the system that we're in, that these sorts of things are consistently suppressed. But you mentioned some well-established institutions that are still thriving today. John Hopkins University is one you mentioned that I know slightly through my research. And I wonder, was there an effort to stifle Rife while he was alive? And was there an effort to suppress him? I mean, maybe we're getting a little too far ahead here. I wonder maybe we should start just talking about Royal Raymond Rife just at, from maybe the well, introduction, and then we'll get to when he was stifled or suppressed. I like it. And let's share with your audience what was actually discovered, because yes, he built the world's most powerful microscopes even today, the universal would be 10 times greater than any light source microscope that exists. People are aware of microscopes that do one and two million, the electron microscope. But back in his day, and for a long time, you just looked at shadowing and you could not look at anything live. Rife built a microscope that magnified 60,000 diameters and he could watch viruses and specimens live. And what he decided to do 
was to find frequencies that would kill, or he used the word, devitalize these pathogens. So how does this work? Well, when a singer sings, hitting the right frequency can break a glass, can destroy it, because the resonant frequency of that sound with the glass, the molecules in the glass. Now, if you think about two opposing forces aimed at each other going exactly the same speed, they will nullify themselves. So Rife reason, well, when I'm looking through my microscope at any virus or bacteria, it is glowing in its own unique color. That means the virus of cancer was a ruby red color, tuberculosis was an emerald green. So Rife's going, well, wait a minute. Color is a rate of vibration. So what would happen if I turn that vibration back against the element that's putting it out, much the same as the two opposing equal forces? Well, knowing something was in the ruby red, he started in the red spectrum of frequency, basically looked through the microscope, turned the dial, and when he got to a certain frequency, the color disappeared. That virus, micro or bacteria, was dead, destroyed. He called it the mortal oscillatory rate, the MOR frequency for that disease and illness. So he went on to find the frequencies for 60 pathogens. And then to test it, here's what he did. They took a female, a woman's female breast cancer tumor, sliced it in half. One half they injected in 100 albino rats. Every one of them got cancer from that cancer tumor. Then they used the frequency on each of those rats, and they were brought completely to health. The virus was killed. Now with the second half of the tumor, they hit it with the frequency and injected that into rats, and it never caused cancer. So he had the greatest of the great working with him, and I wanted to catch our audience up. The microscope is really something. But what he found, Mark, with the frequencies, that was groundbreaking. But who wouldn't like us getting into the area of physics? The pharmaceuticals. That is why the pressure started coming on Rife, is because we're in the world of frequency and vibration and not chemicals. Right. Right. And this Rockefeller allopathic medicine push that basically stigmatized anything holistic, this occurred at a certain period. I'm not quite sure when, but it seems like it was in full swing during the 50s, this sort of heyday and... I, having grandparents who were born around that time, I can see the cognitive dissonance in them where even if they were in the room right now with an open mind and the patience to hear you out, they would still be fearful to consider something like this for cancer treatment when they have this sort of faith in their authority, the doctor, despite 
this conversation and the information they could potentially learn. I know if I sat them down and made them listen to my podcast, they wouldn't pay it the kind of attention it deserves. And that's really unfortunate. When Raymond Reif was alive, did people have this same sort of bias when it came to medicine or was he around during a more, I don't know, open-minded time when people were more used to holistic medicine? Because that my grandparents on my mother's side, they grew up in rural Canada and their approach to holistic medicine is much more open-minded and their approach to allopathic medicine is much more skeptical. So I've seen both in my life and I wonder, was that the norm during Rife's time? You've got to remember during Rife's time, there was no internet. And because of that, when somebody... And by the way, before I do that, I need clarity. Did you say your grandparents were born in the 50s? No. Well, Thank I God, guess... Because that would make me really old. <laughs> no, my mother's grandparents were born in the 20s, and my oh, father's <laughs> grandparents were sort of, I guess, into their young teens in the 50s. So I guess that puts <laughs> them in the, like the 30s or 40s. I don't quite remember how old my father's parents are, but they're Mark, younger. You, you, you brought me to a dead stop with that. I'm going, oh my God, am I older than his grandparents? Well, during Rive's time, there was no internet. There was not the wide disbursement of information. Mm. And Rife was actually a chauffeur for a man named Timken who built the ball bearings for horseless carriages. And Rife just thought, this thing with the microscopes, I think I could build a powerful microscope. So Timken builds him, gives him money to build a lab that would be the equivalent of a million dollars at that time. And Rife goes and he builds a super microscope. By the way, he milled every part. He built this entire thing. He came up with a system that is so profound that if you read articles, it says, Royal Ryman Reif of San Diego, who for many years has built microscopes which far surpassed the theoretical limits of magnification. So now I'm going to ask you, Mark, how can something surpass a limitation? It's either a limitation or it isn't. And so he found a way of taking this, the light beams and continuing to narrow him down where he got to 60,000 power. And he started attracting one doctor after another. Milbank Johnson of Pasadena, who is the head of the local AMA, believe it or not, comes to Ripe, sees what he's doing, is blown away, calls his friend E.C. Rosenau of the Northwestern Union, I'm sorry, of the Mayo Clinic, and he calls his friend at Northwestern, and these doctors start coming around. And they're the ones writing letters that I have back and forth to each other going, oh, my gosh, we have something that is devitalizing cancer. We are making discoveries about viruses that have mutated microbes that don't start as viruses. It's called pleomorphism. Because of whatever the environment is, something mutates from one form to another. Well, that's not so impossible. You and I could go into some environment and it could completely change us, 
We're going to act differently. We're going to think differently. We're going to dress differently. Well, so did the microbes and bacteria. And a neutral bacillus coli in this stomach could be, through frequency, brought into a deadly pathogen. So things are going great. And they kept their research very quiet. But then the newspaper started to get wind of it and came to him, Royal Wright, and said, hey, we, you need to do, we want to do an article that you've cured cancers. Whoa, I am not claiming I'm curing cancer. I am claiming the elements we believe that lead to cancer, we are eliminating. And so the report comes out and then, it's, can I use the word S-H-I-T? Please. Should hit the, the shit hit the fan because... The all of a sudden the cancer industry, right. which is huge, is going. Wait a minute, what is this guy doing? And the pressure came from cancer institutes, foundations that were involved in research. They started putting pressure on Rife and his crew. Rife had received a small grant from the International Cancer Institute. They came out and said, what are you doing? I am, he says, I am addressing human cancers and we are destroying it. Well, wait a minute, they said. We want you to keep doing rat cancer research. He goes, what? We're working on human, no, we're cutting your grant. We want you to keep doing animal research. And a big family in the oil business and pharmaceuticals approached them and said, no more. We don't want you researching here. So the doctors started feeling pressure. I have an original photograph. It's in my book of doctors celebrating at a dinner party, the end of cancer and other diseases. Well, within four years of that picture, all the doctors but three would claim they never knew Rife. They never attended the dinner party. They didn't know anything about the microscope. But here's the kicker. I have his original guest book, and in there are the signatures of these doctors who claim that they never met him. Wow. So where did all this come? Well, if it had been the days of the Internet or what you're doing in a podcast, so many people would have heard, Mark, that it couldn't have been stifled and disappeared right but not in 1933 right right this was a specialized field and even the people reading the type of press that might have even gone out at the time would have been specialized interests but it does seem like people back then were just smarter maybe that's a bias maybe that's sort of a fantasy but it does seem like rife came from a generation of people who had a higher probability of achieving these great scientific feats. Maybe that was more due to the lack of limitations back then, at least intellectually, there was more freedom to explore because, well, these things hadn't been realized yet, right? So when someone realizes you're a very that, You're a very clever young man, and you've you. hit it right on the head right. because in the 20s and 30s, 
and my section on electricity and magnetism, there were numerous doctors from the most prestigious universities discovering that cancer could be destroyed by electricity and magnetism. They were George Cryle of the Cleveland Clinic. These doctors were doing all kinds of research. George Cryle has a crater on the moon named after him, a USS battleship named after him, and his work in surgical shock has about 12 pages in the encyclopedia. But he wrote three books on cancer and how he was able to address that using electricity. All of this in the, I would say from 1920 to 1940, you were spot on. They, these people at these universities were coming out with incredible materials, which we still have preserved here. Why didn't it go anywhere? Well, the grants started coming from the pharmaceutical industry to the universities. A lot of times laws were passed and individuals did not want to lose their standing. Now, when I say law, if somebody in university is respected in their field and they go out of that and they end up losing their prestige, these guys didn't want to take that chance. So they didn't do another pen name. They did their books. I have a couple of books here that were published in 1926. When I give a tour, I like to hold up and say to the person, when do you think this book would? Oh, my gosh, that looks like brand new. I'd say that's like 1990. No, it's 1926. It's 1918. These doctors were great. Now, Dr. Bjorn Nordenstrom, a chairman of the Nobel Assembly, I flew him from Sweden at one of our world conferences. He shrinks. He shrank. He's passed away. Female breast cancers using electricity with absolutely no adverse side effects. Chairman of the Nobel Assembly, discoverer of needle biopsy used in every hospital, top radiologist. So I fly him out to L.A. when my office was there, and the Los Angeles Times said, alternative practitioner, Dr. Nordstrom. Alternatives, it's because he was using something other than surgery, chemotherapy, or drugs. He was the discoverer of needle biopsy. So it happens in the 1980s. It happened in the 1920s and 30s. And I still have to tell you, it still happens today. Because the messengers get some kind of dirt on them. And all of a sudden, people don't look at what the message is. They go, it's the messenger. Gosh, normally I talk about positive things. I give lectures and presentations on spirit, spiritual topics and what we're capable of. So I want to keep interjecting that so people don't get the impression that I, your guest, is a hard-thumping Oh, not at all. No, not at all. I am maybe the one delivering that energy into this conversation. And here's another thought that might run the risk of being anti-establishment. When it comes to chemistry, drugs, 
In your notes that you sent me before we started this, you said you have been looking into books ranging back into the 1500s on the topic of alchemy, right? And yes. through my research into Yale University, which has become a fascination of mine, I found that the namesake, Yale, comes from a man named Elihu Yale, who was in fact a member of these cartels that went by the name the India British East India Company and the Dutch East India Company. He was a governor in some fort in India. And these men were responsible for shipping all sorts of drugs over to America. A few generations later, and a man named Samuel Russell helped contribute a lot of money to Yale University. He was also directly an opium smuggler. So there's a there's a connection going back really far with these institutions to drugs. And yes. it's not surprising that they would be in favor of that approach to health. Obviously, it's a money maker for them. It's cash cow, literally. And Harvard's no different, I'm sure. I haven't looked that far into Harvard's history, but they're very close to Yale. I mean, 10 Harvard guys founded Yale, so go figure. But uh, yeah, I just, I wonder, given your research into alchemy, if, you've, if you think there's any esoteric side to all of this, because oftentimes in the occult conspiracy researcher sub-paradigm here in podcasts, we sort of dip our toes in that water. I hear people use the phrase, oh, pharmakia is in the Bible. It means sorcery, right? And obviously there's the similarity to the word pharmacy there. So people yeah. have made that connection and they wonder, oh, are these people who are making so much money off drugs and chemicals, are they some sort of cabal of sorcerers using magic against the rest of us? I mean, given your colorful history, no pun intended, with all of the amazing scientific work you've helped preserve. I mean, do you think that there is a group like that exists? I mean, it, clearly there are people who want to stifle this stuff. Maybe they're, they think they have the best interest in others in mind, but I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that originally when we had herbs that worked, industry said, wait a minute, we can't mass produce these herbs. We have to go to chemicals and because we can reproduce these very well, even though they weren't as good. We can reproduce these and we can make as much of that as we want and we can charge a lot of money. And so the thing to do sometimes is put your hand down on the person's shoulders who's close to you so you can elevate yourself up. And then herbs went into disrespect as far as the standard medical community. Then, of course, we had the religions who came out. And I will say the founders of virtually every religion are the best. Their writings, I lecture on them. But after these people pass away, the individuals responsible for keeping the buildings and the thing going prostitute the original message of those founders so that they get money. The word magic by ancient teachers meant an individual who understood the workings of nature. The church says, oh my God, this is bad. This is sorcery. Magic 
is evil. Magic, according to the ancients, is a part of imagination, which was considered by the ancients the greatest gift the Creator gave to human beings. Imagination, no limits, it can go. So here we have the religions putting it. We have the pharmaceutical industries getting rid of the herbs. And I would say my own, again, personal opinion, I gave you my Aristotle story. There are individuals who are into money, into money and power. And so they will do whatever it takes to make money and power. However, I've been in this field for 50 years doing health consulting, and I can't tell you how many people I've met who had lives dedicated to making money and power who saw the light and changed. Do I believe there is a negative devil force? I absolutely do not. We are thought-forming human beings. We have created the negativity. The mo now let's go to Manly Hall. Let's get to people. Here's what Manly Hall said. If you resonate on the vibration of evil, you will start attracting everything in your locality that's evil or negative. But then it will be in your hotel. Then you'll pick up all the evil in the city, the state, the country, the world, and off-world. The more that you resonate with any frequency being, the more you will attract that. And everywhere you go. So four people can be riding in a car. Four girls having fun. Four men. The negative person looks out and sees somebody doing something that's extremely negative. The other two are looking going, oh my God, look at the sky is blue. Look at those clouds. You will resonate and be attracted to the vibrational frequency. Now, the reason I'm doing this is I did tie in frequency and rife. So, so the idea is that do I think there's the cabal? I think people's imagination, they like to make up things. I'm used to it in life. We are thought-forming human beings. We create and we add. How many times people have said to me, Steve, would you please go to this place at evil frequencies? And there's thing in people's heads. Are, it's horrible. And I'll go and nothing happens. <laughs> nothing is there. And they go, I said, well, last time I was here, this went on and I saw this. We have unbelievable strength. This is the gift from the deity. Now, the question is, how are we going to use our imagination? Are we going to continue to resonate? Because we will find every negative, quote, thing that exists. How do we get something negative from supposed to be positive? God is all loving. He's everything. And yet there's a negative part running around. It's like, what's not jiving here? It's like it, this sprang. So God has his negative. No. So I always look and say, let's look at the other factors. The electron microscope comes out exactly the same time as right. Millions of dollars. They're sucking all the air out of science. No internet to push his thing. 
He's going against people who want to make money on pharmaceuticals. Was there an evil intent coming from the cosmos? No, it's just bad timing, horribly bad timing. I will tell you, when I read the 500 letters, these are not letters for TV. These are personal letters. I cried. I have hundreds of techniques in this facility. I know a lot of stories. But when I read their letters, who they were, what they were trying to do, and I think about how many people have died of cancer, I cried. Mark, I did. I was overwhelmed. I go, how can I discount? I know what you said about your relatives. How do I discount the Mayo Clinic, Northwestern, John Hopkins, and back in 1989, I was invited to the gynecological endoscopy meeting in Orlando, Florida. These are the doctors who do the microsurgery with cameras. I was told by the organizer, give them something alternative that will stimulate them at the morning breakfast. There were 2,000 doctors, and I decided to give a lecture on Royal Riot. So, how many doctors have heard of Royal Rife? Not one hand went up. Now, three years later, I give a lecture to 300 people at the Dowsing Association. How many people? <laughs> All 300. The only one who didn't was a waiter who was walking through. He'd never heard. Three, only three years later. Now, when I finished the lecture with the kind of the endoscopist, I finished. I've delivered hundreds of lectures. I finished. There, there was no reaction. I was kind of stunned. Nobody threw tomatoes. Nobody clapped. Nothing. So I start walking off, and the organizer comes up to me and he goes, "Oh my God, nobody went to get coffee. Nobody went to the bathroom." He says, I think they're in shock. Go back up. So I went back up. He's there. And he goes, Dr. Ross has finished his presentation. Then they clapped. They went into shock. Why? I did a slide presentation of the letters with their institutes, their founders of their institutes, and tried to shut down every comment somebody could make taking Rife down. Right. I was proactive. Boom, boom. Not one of those 2,000 coming from Yale, they knew who E.C. Rosner was at the Mayo Clinic. He was the greatest researcher in the history of the Mayo Clinic. The poliomyelitis virus was discovered on the Rife microscope at their university. I have the internal minutes, and none of them even knew what the Rife microscope was. Wow. Yeah, and, and I was going to ask, cancer, it seems like the treatment for it is a pretty new invention, we'll say, right? The chemotherapy seems to be the main you know, method of, by which people yeah. go about treating it. But how long have people been aware of cancer? I mean, I had a guest on the show recently talking about electromagnetic frequencies 
and the phenomena of solar flares came up and he said, well, people would experience flus and different illnesses during these solar flares. So people started to realize, okay, what's going on in the sky can affect us here down on the earth. And I imagine something like cancer, which is a cell having a sort of internal reaction that causes it to then multiply rapidly in a sort of very dangerous way. I imagine that could be spurred by radiation. And then to think the treatment for it involves radiation just is confounding. But maybe they're working on that same principle that we mentioned where you're trying to hit up. No, I don't think what so. What a nice guy you are, Mark. <laughs> giving no. them too much benefit of the doubt. You're, you're giving them too much benefit. By the way, Paracelsus, the great alchemist in the early 1500s, was addressing cancer with his medicaments. Cancer goes back all the way as far as you want to look. They may not have called the cancer, but their description of what was going on was that. No, the for the first 30 years of my lecturing, it was on this topic, the pharmaceuticals, what's going on. The last 20 years has been on human potential, but I'm going to go back to my earlier 30 years. Why would you ever use a therapy that is going to cause your problem? Because here's what you don't hear. Mrs. Smith is given chemotherapy for her breast cancer. And guess what? It destroyed not only the cancer, but her entire immune system. Now, she ends up with cancer of the stomach, which causes her death. So it's called secondary cancers. It's in the literature caused by the radiation chemotherapy. So breast cancer, we got to win. The statistics show that the breast it worked for the breast, but it didn't. The patient ended up dying of stomach cancer. There are secondary cancers often caused. Now, when you see the children in the commercials, they're not bald from cancer. They're bald from the therapy. And so I look at this. I will never tell anybody what they should do or not. My organization, World Research Foundation, gives people every one of their options. We have library packets, 500 pages thick on every cancer, telling you everything that's ever been used from ancient times to the present, including chemo, so one can make an informed decision of what their options are. I don't say do this or don't do that. People have done the chemotherapy and radiation, and it's worked out fine. But here's the interesting part. In this day of computers, the hospitals know every single person that goes into that hospital with cancer. Why do none of them publish the actual results of who walks out of that hospital cured? Forget a study that was 10, 10, 15 years ago during a trial. What are the current results now? There was a gathering of 10,000 oncologists in Hamburg, Germany. There was a debate on chemotherapy. I have the complete report. They were polled how many of them, if the doctors got it themselves, would take the chemotherapy. Less than 20%. And if anybody would like 
that study or reference, they can get in touch with me, and I will make sure that they will see what the oncologist said themselves about the very therapy that, that they're using. And it was put out by a statistician from Harvard University. Yeah, I mean, if there's a way we can link that in the description or maybe you can share your contact, I'll forward it to the anyone who's interested. But yeah, it does seem like we are years behind when we could be much further ahead on this treatment process for well, this specific <laughs> absolutely. illness. Absolutely. And when I think of what happened with Dr. Nordenstrom, who was the chairman of the Nobel Assembly, who I had flown out, he ended up going over to China, giving his patent free 3,200 medical doctors, not actually, but medical doctors, treated 9,000 patients with a success rate of 80% using his therapy. And yet, if the chairman of the Nobel Assembly couldn't get his work done and passed and utilized here, we're in a very sorry state. And I admire people running for the cure and doing it, but I contacted the foundation with the pink bows and asked them if they were aware of Nordenstrom's therapy and Nicholas Gonzalez, who was another cancer researcher, and where does the money they raise go? It goes to the pharmaceutical companies, which, by the way, Nixon's war on cancer in the 70s, we've got as many people dying. That was 54 years ago. So will these things work? How about a Pepsi challenge? <laughs> I, I don't think they have that commercial anymore. But do you remember that? Yeah. What's is better, Pepsi or Coke? All right, let's go and compare but here's what happens. You cannot use any other therapy in this country unless you've exhausted the chemotherapy and radiation. You cannot use Nordenstrom's therapy. Think of how stupid that is. After your immune system's destroyed, you can't even do this electricity therapy, which is very profound. It is extremely profound but he didn't get the time of day wow now are you are you i mean maybe this isn't something we can say on the air but are you aware of people actually doing these sorts of things outside of hospital circumstances i mean some areas people still have doctors that visit their home i mean is this type of thing happening definitely people are willing to try other, that's why I said we have a packet of information oh, of yes, all of kinds course. of natural approaches. But guess what? They're all written by medical doctors. None of them are, they're not wives' tales. They're not somebody's internet site. They are from books out of this library going all the way back to the early 1900s on what people have used. And so... For me, the toughest thing in life, Mark, is not having options, being forced into one direction. So my nonprofit organization is letting people know what their options are. What they do is up to them. Right. I don't sit there and go, 
don't do this. So nobody can come to me and go, hey, you're telling people not to do cancer. No, I didn't say that. I said, read the statistics, make a decision. How about all the commercials we have for cholesterol side effects? Yes, you may get a rare but fatal brain disease. You may end up with this problem. You may end up with that problem. Have we gone insane that we're accepting that the, these adverse effects for somebody who has psychological problems, make sure you tell your doctor if you feel suicidal. They're already suicidal. They're taking drugs. So I'm only addressing this because you brought up why aren't things happening? Well, because people are going along with the status quo, not wanting to rock the boat. They only get paid insurance money if they go the standard. So they're not going to do something that's going to help them live. Right. Yeah, it's a very toxic situation that we're in. I mean, people are altogether unaware of the dangers around them in their diet, in their home, with various frequencies we're exposed to. I mean, even... The thoughts that we have, this is a form of frequency and vibration. Yes. And many people, particularly in cities, at least on the East Coast, I notice walk around with a sort of upset demeanor, uh, very agitated, very willing to scream and shout at the first disturbance or disruption in their day. And obviously these are not people who are perfect examples of health in most cases either, right? So... Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that vibration, mental wellness, these are things that are connected. Now, going back to Rife's work, he identified these frequencies had the ability to neutralize equal and opposite forces in the microbiotic realm, so to speak, right? And virus, and right. virus. It's interesting. I'm in the state of Arizona, and one of the professors, I don't know if it was, I think it's ASU, made a startling revelation six years ago, sound and frequency affected cancer cells. And they're going, wow, this is unbelievable. Yeah, that's right. 70, 80 years behind Rife, who perfected it to the nth degree. Now, I think it's good that this individual is pursuing, but here's always the caveat, Mark. Whenever we hear something innovative, it's not available now. It could be 10 or 12 years. And so there's always kind of a little tease that eventually something's going to come out, but it doesn't. Now, why do I know? I have a library here going back 500 years, and I just watched the progression of announcements, discoveries. They come, they go incredible inventors, they come, they go. But you brought out something, so I'm going to make this statement. Anything that can be done with a machine, you and I and all your listeners have the capability of duplicating that. I like what you said, and those are the presentations I far prefer, is that our human potential, our thoughts, our imagination— can supersede anything. In some of my writings, I have a presentation on Napoleon. 
Napoleon went to where the plague was. He went up to the people who had the plague, and there is a picture that was painted. I don't recall the painter, but it's a classic picture. Right there, his men were so afraid to even get close. But here's what Napoleon told Wolfgang von Goethe, a great philosopher. I went, I am stronger than any virus or bacteria. I am stronger. And after that, his men followed him everywhere. But it reminds me of another story, if I may. Please, yeah, that's amazing. And the story goes like this. An individual at Constantinople was going out of town on a journey. And coming the direction into town was the plague. And the man said, whoa, what are you doing? And the plague said, I have come for 5,000 souls. Well, the pilgrim was happy. He got out of town. Well, six months later, he returns, and the plague is leaving Constantinople. And the pilgrim says, and 50,000 people had died. And the pilgrim said, I thought you said you were only taking 5,000 souls, Mr. Plague. And the plague said, I only took 5,000. Fear took the rest. Wow. And so... You were the one who kind of opened the door. It is our mind. It is fears. It is belief systems. See, I'm kind of segued, but hopefully we'll get a chance to speak much more on that aspect. But it is as powerful as any machine or device, what we are able. And we've been dumbing down on our abilities. That is for sure. Dummy down onto what each one of us is capable of doing, of manifesting. The alchemists, those are all great stories. There were some that could really do it. We were talking about alchemy. There was probably only three or four that could actually do what they wrote about. The rest were like people setting up rife sites. They didn't know what they were talking about. They wrote gibberish. They confused people. But there were individuals who had capabilities. This is who I like to highlight so that you and I go, wait a minute. If that person can do it, why why can't we? Absolutely. To empower us. Absolutely. I've read about a man named, he, you're probably familiar with him, Sai Baba. And he can materialize a pencil. Yes. He could materialize an orange. And when I read that... Rather than saying, oh, this is baloney and throwing the book over my shoulder, I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing that there's record of this, that a man got to that level of serenity and he was able to do these amazing things. And I have no doubts that those are possible. But I wonder, given the environment that we're in now with technology and the frequencies that those devices give off, do you think that humans will evolve to be more resilient, adapt rather to be more resilient to these frequencies? I mean, given the testament to human strength that I know you fully believe in, you're not saying that in vain. I myself experience that as a martial artist is something that right. I think every 
wrestler who competes knows that you're your own worst enemy when right. it comes to your mind and your ability to achieve something. And I mean, even things that defy physics, if we can even rely on physics, are possible. And Royal Rife broke all the limitations of physics. So these are all man-made laws, mm. and they're based on the observation of the era and the time. Do you know, I believe it was around 1900 where they said, we don't know if there'll be any more Nobel Prizes because there's nothing left to discover. I mean, that was the belief, Mark, at the time. There's no not, nothing else we're going to find. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, when I find narrow viewpoints, I find narrow reading. And so as we limit ourselves to whatever bias, whatever belief systems we are going to follow, that is the limitation. This is why I have no gurus. I don't belong to any organized religion, but I consider myself spiritual. I believe in the realm of spirits and dreams, but I exist in a worldly world here. And what we're capable of, I don't have enough credibility with you right now to actually really tell you what's possible. Maybe in the future, we can have a show and we can talk about what human beings can manifest, how we can alter, how we can create things, whether it's the weather or materialize. Here's the difference. People think only the people in the East are capable of these things. The Sai Babas, the other mystics, that's a misnomer. That is a misnomer. <clears throat> Time for another story. So this businessman wakes up, heavy-duty businessman. Maybe he worked for the pharmaceutical or he was a banker. But he woke up and he goes, what's it all about, Alfie? <clears throat> Look, why are we here? What? So an associate said, you need to go to the metaphysical bookstore. Oh, okay, I've never been there. So he goes in and he says, I want to know the purpose of life. What do you have? No, you need to go to Tibet and the Himalayas. So the man goes, okay. So he flies over, he's climbing, wrong time of year, not dressed properly, passes out. When he wakes up, there's a group of yogis. What are you doing here? I've come to find out the secret of the ages. Why am I here? Can you tell me? No, we have no idea. What, where do I go? What city did you come from? Now, you can use any city, Boston. Now, I came from Boston. Well, that's where the answer is. The answer is wherever you are. Not outside, it's inside. And if your belief system is you need 10 years of meditation to accomplish something, how come the transcendentalists were just hugging trees and had cosmic consciousness? Jacob Bamey, a mystic, a reflection off of a pewter dish into his eyes gave him cosmic consciousness that he didn't have before. Mark, there's so many things in this world, and it's our belief systems that limit where we go, no matter 
how profound or good some of these systems appear. They're going to only go as far as their teacher, their founder went. And that's where people stop. And if you're going to have consciousness and you're a Buddha, Buddhist, you're going to see Buddha. And if you go all the way, you're going to see Jesus Christ, or you're going to see Moses, or you're going to see Muhammad, always colored by your environment and your upbringing. By the way, again, this is all my opinion. Yeah, wow, I love it. I I think we need more messages like this, especially given the past four or five years and all that we've endured. Yes. But Rife is not alone. If I could segue back to this topic with Elmer Nems and his Nemescope, which brought to mind Nemesis for me, but I don't know that we can apply that to him. Tell us about Elmer and why he's a little known, well, I maybe inventor of these devices that were clearly suppressed. Maybe that's a reason why, but what about Elmer is important to know? Well, Elmer P. Nemus developed a microscope called the Nemoscope. Now, the Nemoscope, which was developed in the 50s, is very interesting because let's look at the, this progression. Light source microscopes were do, doing, and they're still doing in our schools, 1,800 mag, diameter magnification. Rife builds a microscope that does 60,000 magnification or diameters. The Nemoscope did 3 million magnification, which virtually everybody would go, that is freaking impossible. It can't be. But what I've done with uh, a book I published and... I certainly didn't go on this show just to push a book, but you brought it up. In this book, I published all the pictures taken through the nemoscope, which shows a cancer virus at 2 million magnification. It shows viruses, bacteria, crystals. It shows magnetic fields. What does that mean? Human eye has never seen a magnetic field spiral, but these pictures were taken through the nemoscope that did up to 3 million. It shows energy frequency, the waves of frequency. It shows the force fields holding atoms together. Now, this is interesting because a few pictures have been on the internet and the comments from the physicist says, oh, this is clearly Photoshop. This can't be real. It's BS. It doesn't exist. Well, can you see this okay? This is the Nemus presentation book, his original book of photographs of the slides, which were from the 50s, way before the advent of these computer enhancements. And the, sorry, the Nemoscope was developed in the Los Angeles area, and Elmer Nemus put his microscope in 
a camera shop in Studio City, California, to have something done on it. And there was a break-in, and the nemoscope was stolen, and nobody ever saw it again or knows where it is. However, his original presentation book, which I have, which was given to me by his associate, shows all the original documentation and schematics. It was never patented. The Rife microscope was never patented. And so the nemoscope at this millions of magnification also defies because they were able to take photographs of living organisms. See, this is the difference between the electron. The electron is bombarded by electrons, and the sub the object can't live. You're not watching it live. Now, see, this presentation I gave in the 80s was before. We've got much more better technologies. They're coming closer. They can see things live. But we're talking about marked discoveries in the 30s and 50s. We're talking 100 years ago. I mean, that's incredible. And these things wallow. They're not really known. When I started with Rife, there was maybe... 50, when I got his work in the 80s, 50 sites, now there's a million. But with the nemoscope, there's maybe only three sites that exist on what that nemoscope did. Someday, somebody in an opulent position will decide, you know what, if I go the chemotherapy radiation route, I'm going to die. Let's do electromagnetics. Let's set stuff up. Let's validate this. Let's show what it can be done. But because all this money goes into everything else, these technologies, thank God, I'm good. as long as I live, they will still exist. But people are not doing anything, especially on Rife. I can't even come out with the real Rife stuff because people who have made, I have a Rife, I developed a Rife machine, really. Rife didn't have anything to do with your machine. I'm using Rife frequencies. I came across a website. The website said Rife's love frequencies. I couldn't stand it. I normally, seriously, except for a show like yours, I'm a quiet, mellow librarian. I couldn't stand it. I contact and I go, what are you talking about? Rife never developed love frequencies. She writes back, I got it off of a website. Great. You got it off another website and another website. He did not develop love frequencies. He did not develop thousands of frequencies. Nemus and what he has here, it will sit. Sure, I always receive inquiries about these things. That's why I produced my books so the people could get the original right frequencies. They could see pictures. This was a picture from Magnets Magazine from the 80s showing atoms with the energy fields. The original is in this book. There was an article in 1964 in a Mechanics Magazine about the nemoscope. But all that stuff just right. disappears for a lot of different reasons, but I'm sorry, 
It's not the cabal that does it. It's people's <laughs> lack of knowledge and interest. Right. Well, and I'm perfectly capable of seeing that. I think that's the most reasonable explanation, although it doesn't sell a lot of books. That tends to be how that works out, right? And when it comes to these frequencies, it's really, I think, distressing nowadays, you know, what's going on. But if we could move to a lighter note here and maybe talk about Manly P. Hall, I just a thought just came back to me. One thing that I know people who listen to this show have written in about, I've even had people suggest I have guests on who are musicians who make this sort of 432 hertz or however many hertz frequency. And I've always been very skeptical of these binaural audio waves. I thought, well, what if this is detrimental to my brain's health? I'm putting these headphones right next to my brain and just blasting it with frequencies that I don't know what they can do, right? So maybe for the folks out there who want to explore this, do you have any words of advice or wisdom what to look for and what to avoid when it comes to any sort of use of the word frequency? Because it is a vague term that... It's I, everything. Right. It covers the entire spectrum from the visible to the invisible. I mean, the frequency is everything. Think what distinguishes death, heartbeat and brain waves. The body's here, but it's the heartbeat and the brain waves. I think people need to examine and use a little common sense. I'm thinking of a great guest for you, a good friend of mine who wrote music for the Olympic Games, but he is extremely spiritual and he has worked and discovered, he's worked with a man who discovered notes between the notes that we are used to, sounds that the human body the mind has never heard before. And therefore, when the sound is produced, the mind and the body is going, what's that? He is the nicest, greatest individual, and he would be the best one to kind of talk to you. We'll talk about it after the show. I don't want to get his name out now, but for sure. Now, I do want to, right before we go, I want to share a story in my book about one day I was in my office in Los Angeles and a woman called. I happened to take it and she goes, I heard what happened to your founder. Now, I was the founder of World Research, co-founder. And I go, what happened? She said, "He, I, I heard he was killed and the Rife microscope was stolen from him. I said, really? I said, where did you hear that? She says, well, I, last weekend, was in this rec room in a condo project, and all the curtains were drawn, and they showed a movie about Nikola Tesla, the great scientist, and it was done by Orson Welles. And by the way, that's a great video. And after it was over, a man gets up and tells the story of how there was a super microscope called the Rife Microscope. And the founder walked out of his front door and was killed on his front step, and the microscope was stolen from him. So I'm listening, and I go, really? And she she says, did you, did you know Steve Ross? 
And I said, actually, I saw him in the mirror this morning. <laughs> so she starts, she goes, oh my gosh, you're Steve Ross? That's the kind of BS that circulates, not only with Rife, but Mark, seriously, isn't it everywhere? Isn't it in our politics? Isn't it everywhere that people come up? My associate, I had the microscope. My associate still has the microscope. It is not held. What was that, Radius of the Law? Where was the movie ended where there was a big warehouse with the government storing like the Ark of the... Oh, National Treasure, was it? <laughs> or Raiders... I, I Indian. Don't Indian Jones. No, it's not there. They don't have it. I was not killed. It's these type of things. So now I do want to address the frequency part because, yes, the frequency is everything. Now, I met an individual who was not sleeping well and... He was complaining about if he got any sleep at all, it was half an hour. He was always jittery. He doesn't know what's going on. And he said, I sleep on my magnetic bed every day and it's not working. I said, wow, how many Gauss strengths is your magnetic bed? And he gave me some number. And I go, first of all, you are so far beyond the healthy magnetic state for your body that even if you use Band-Aid magnets, which are little 800 Gauss magnets that I've used for years to neutralize pain, you have to take it off every two or three days. You cannot sit under these fields for an unlimited time and think everything's going to be good. But I was going to say that's American. Maybe it's a man thing. Yeah, if a little bit works, let's really... Let's really shovel it on. Well, and I think there's a reason why we have brakes on our car, because we can't drive 3,000 miles per hour and achieve anything, right? So, yeah, these things need to be... And that, that was going to be one of my questions with the Rife devices, is like when people advertise, oh, it has 5,000 frequencies. Meanwhile, Rife himself only has 60 described in this book. It's yes. like, well, what are you really doing to yourself at that point? It sounds like you're creating a weapon. And no, you're right, Mark. And then I hear, because there are hundreds of techniques in this library that I've studied, and then I will come across people who go, you know what? I have a machine that has incorporated Royal Rife, something called the multi-wave oscillator, Dinshagadeli's color therapy, and it's like eight things, and it's like, excuse me, that's overkill. Mm. And each one of these is neutralizing the other. Every one of them by itself is a world beater. It's unbelievable. There are virtually no side effects. Right after they found how long to do the frequency. See, when Rife first found the frequencies, there was so much death of those cells that the immune system was flooded. So that they modified very early what they were doing with those frequencies and running it through particular gases. The color therapy has been around since Pythagoras 550 BC. I'm sorry, I'm looking at where the things are in the library if you see me looking around. But to throw them all together and to believe this is what it's all about is 
It's silly. It's crazy. It's not logical. It's not scientific. And with the rife, and you're talking about the frequencies, here's what I've found. Very early in the 80s, because I lectured on Rife, I get a call from Canada. A woman goes, Dr. Ross, I bought your machine and it's not working. I'm going, I've never built a machine. I didn't even write the right books then. I said, I've never built a machine. What are you talking about? Well, I bought this Rife machine and it's got information from you from lectures I said, well, who? So I call up this company and I said, hey, what are you doing? Well, you did a big show on KBC Radio, which is public domain. I said, no, it's not. KBC owns it and I own it. And you cannot be using it for your advertising to sell your devices because I wouldn't get involved with anything like that. I publish these books on the frequencies because I will be 75 in January and I want to make sure that they're in the books. Now they're in the public domain. They're out there with the pictures and Rife's original frequencies and not all this hoopla garbage marks about the love frequencies and the other frequencies. I, I, I had to do that initially because... They were taking my shows and using it as sales promotions. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that's distressing, especially when this is so important, not just to you, but really the world. I mean, this is an important matter and it needs to be dealt with uh, professionals. And unfortunately, the academics have lost their professional credibility in a lot of cases. But we have folks like you fighting the good fight, if I may use those terms, although it, Thank you. it's not a fight when you're as peaceful as you are. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like our first 64 minutes, but in real life, I'm a triple Aquarian. I'm goofy. I give <laughs> lectures with water balloons and paper airplanes, but you can tell I'm passionate <laughs> about the subjects, which reminds me, just you and I are kind of gliding right now. Acupuncture. For a long time, the people who work with acupuncture knows, obviously, it goes 3000 BC. But the medical profession, for many years, goes, there's no transport system, there's no meridians, there, it's all hogwash. Well, two nuclear aerospace doctors took technetium-99, ran it at purported acupuncture points, and the technetium went right along the meridian system to the proper organ. When they put the technetium out off those points, it just coagulated because there was no transport system. They were able to document, and they were on my advisory board before they passed away, Unfortunately, a lot of my people are going to the other side, but you could see photographs, CAT scans of the exact meridians. Now, they were physicians, and what they did was they would do a surgery on an organ. After the surgery, they would inject the technetium at the proper point. 
if the organ was truly rectified, Mark, then the flow and the meridian was perfect. But if it wasn't, they knew that something was not corrected properly. This is an incredible great mix of the orthodox and complementary. People call it alternative, holistic, but complementary. That was a great joining. Those doctors were on the French Nuclear Regulatory Board. You don't get any higher than that. I went for many years asking acupuncture. Not one acupuncture in the U.S. had ever heard of these guys. But why is it important? Because science poo-pooed it. Their research showed the meridians were spot on from drawings 2000 BC. How did those guys, how did those people map it out so perfectly? Hmm. Intuition, spiritual area. It takes science sometimes forever to validate these things. Yeah. I think we're still hopefully getting closer to those actual phenomena being realized on a... You're going to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I think our generation is. Yeah, for sure. Your, your generation is going to because you're open. You are not somebody who's stopping just because even if you're fat, your title is just so great. It's, it doesn't matter. You are doing and pursuing what you believe is the information which will lead to truths. Are they absolute or relative? Most of the time, what we discover is just truths that are not absolute. Why? Because we're still limited. So the relative truths we find are relative to how much we want to work at finding the answer, how much energy we're going to put in. And by that, I mean, you just don't stop the first time. Oh, okay. This guy said th this is the answer. All right. What is that based on? You know, this, li this library started, it was one bookshelf in a house. And then I go, I wonder what motivated this philosopher to come across. Oh, there's three people before him. And then when you keep tracing back, and the next thing you know, you got to have a big room and a building to hold all the materials, tracing back who said what and where and who motivated them. But when you go back far enough, it came from intuition, from spiritual sources that, that gave seemingly answers to individuals who... Couldn't have found it on their own. I mean, when you really go back a long way. And then again, as a historian, as a librarian, I can see something that was around 500 BC, still around 200 AD, disappeared. And then somebody comes up with the discovery mark, 1600s. <laughs> the truth never completely disappears. It can get buried it can get mislaid, but it's going to come from seekers. Let's throw in a little alchemy here, where Paracelsus, the greatest of the great alchemists, 1493 to 
1540-something. You want to know anything? You want to know what an herb or plant can do? Sit cross-legged in front of it. Still your mind. Put out your question, and it will speak to you. It will give you the answers. The difficulty is, all of us, including myself, we're not good listeners. We're not. That's what the whole thing was with meditation and stilling the self to hear that, whether it's the still small voice within or what an herb can do, what a plant can do. It's about truly being open and listening. And all of nature will talk to you. Every animal, every plant, every tree. I will just tell, I I have a long experience. Everything is alive. Everything is alive. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I found myself watching a video yesterday of a gentleman named Titus who lives with no electricity in the Appalachian Mountains somewhere in Georgia. And this gentleman's YouTube channel, his self-titled, his name's Peter Campanella. He makes these wonderful videos talking to basically outsiders like this gentleman, Titus. And the connection that he had with Creator and the world around him and the animals, his horses, it was beautiful. It came off the screen and it just filled me with this energy like, wow, I got to get myself on a farm like that. So I, I resonate with everything you're saying to a very large degree. Now, we've talked a lot about two of your books, but there's a third book that I'd like to have you back on the show to discuss. But before we wrap up, I hope you have some more time to share with us. Oh, uh, of course. We, we want, I want to know, because I am a student of Manly P. Hall in the sense that I've had his book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, for many years. I had a textbook version of it, and I had the reader's version with more pictures and illustrations and whatnot. And here we have his unpublished pages of the secret teachings of all ages. So my question is, was this an editorial choice on the part of Manly P. Hall to leave these parts out? Why were these parts left out and what compelled you to bring them into publish you know, that status? May I give you the, the backstory? Please, yes. Okay, because I, I'm cognizant of talking on and on. So I was very new to the whole metaphysical esoteric. My PhD's in business. I was an athlete. I thought the occult was crazy or hokey. My father was an engineer at Lockheed Aircraft Fact. But somebody said, Steve, because I just started with the dreams, there is this great philosopher in Los Feliz, California named Manly P. Hall. And He's there every Sunday talking. So it was a Friday. I drove to his location, and every, he spoke every Sunday in a lecture for $1. But the next Friday, a group of people would meet to discuss the previous Sunday's lecture and get more out of it. So I show up on a Friday. There's about 100 people in this room. There's a blackboard in front. In front is Pearl Thomas, who huh, 
was his head librarian for 40 years and another gentleman who was a Platonist and had been studying Manley Hall for 30 years. And so being the brave fellow I was, I went all the way to the back of the chair because I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what I got into. I was all the way in the back. Somebody in the audience says, what does point four mean? What does it mean by that? For whatever reason, Pearl Thomas, the librarian, points her finger out to the audience. You, everybody's moving aside. And she's pointing to me. The next thing I knew, everybody was looking at me. I didn't know what I said. Later, I was to be told by Pearl Thomas, I explained the point and what was there. So Pearl Thomas, everybody leaves. Pearl Thomas says, how, what books is Mr. Hall? I've never read his book. Well, how many lectures have you attended? I've never attended any lectures. So she said, well, how could you answer that? How could you speak about he and his philosophy when you've never read, heard, or talked? So she says, come to the library tomorrow. So Saturday, I come to the library. It's all behind glass. Oh, my God, Mark. 80,000 volumes all behind glass. Materials going back to 200 B.C. Vases. So I'm talking with Pearl Thomas. You you have to, yeah, I like this book. They opened the case. They took it out. After two hours, she says, young man, because I was young like you, Here's the key. Open it, close it, you take it. All right. So that night, I end up having a dream. I wrote it down. Sunday, actually, I didn't. Monday, I go and I give the dream to Pearl Thomas. She goes, Oh my gosh, Mr. Hall, I'm, Mr. Hall has to see this. The next day, I get a call from Manley Hall. Now, he was impossible to reach. He didn't grant interviews. People would call from their guard from payphone. Hi, this is Jesus. This is the Countess St. Germain. I want to meet Manic. They didn't do it. So he calls me, and I go over to his home, and he goes, who are you? I said, I'm a student. He said, what, what do you want? I had no idea. Again, it came through. I want to go into your vault, and I want to Xerox alchemical books, not out of the library, out of his personal vault. And he said, okay, why? Because my dream was how he wanted to build the PRS in the 20s, but he didn't have enough money, and he built it in the 30s. But my dream was nobody would know that. And he knew I wasn't born in the 20s. And that was the calling card that allowed me to go in and Xerox alchemical books. And they are on the upper balcony behind me. There's a whole bookcase of what I Xeroxed. In those days, Mark, there were no reprints. There were not like there is today. So those alchemical books and other works that he had were not available. In there, I find a little notebook. Material that arrived 
too late to the printer to be included in the secret teachings. So I, I copied that. He said I could copy whatever I wanted. I spoke with him. He said, look, the promise you have to make to me is you will never publish anything you've copied out of here as long as I'm alive because this is how the PRS, Philosophical Research Society, makes its money. I said, okay. Well, nobody publishes that in the 90s, 2000, 2010. And I said, hey. If they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And so I published these. I think there's 13 lectures in here. What he did was the material arrived too late, but he decided to do 10 weeks taking each one of these and doing a presentation lecture. But it was never included in the secret teachings. And did you ever ask him why? No, it arrived too late to the printer. Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah. It was too late, and that big book was, and you have people who listen to you on audio or is it? Right. Yeah, but behind, here is his big book. Can you see it? Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. And we'll okay. put this on the video sites as well, so folks watching will be able to see that. So folks, if you're listening, yeah. tune into the video to, just for a moment just to see all yeah. the amazing stuff behind Steve here. But uh, yeah, wow. So what well, did I say? I Only Pearl Thomas said, you answered the woman's question and how it was pertinent to her life. Yes, Manly Hall would do it. Ah. <laughs> so that's why I believe in the spiritual world. I've been aided through the dreams and visions. But perhaps if you have me back, that will be something if there is an interest in that. Yeah, I absolutely have an interest in having you back and an interest in what you're ready to discuss. And this has just been such a great opportunity to learn all about this here and now i know we're coming up on about two hours so i don't want to keep you all day i need to eat dinner it's i'm on the east coast it's getting a little late over <laughs> here but this has just been so fantastic now did your relationship evolve with manly p hall after that did you get to know him better or was that one of i was over at his home three times not as close a relationship as ronnie pontiac had but Ronnie and Tamara were there when I was there. It was at his home several times. It was interesting because I it took me eight months to Xerox a lot of those materials. And I had to be careful because I couldn't close the copy machine or I would have broken bindings of books from the 15, 16, and 1700s. So I had to keep it up, which is why I'm wearing glasses now because the light coming up. But I did make a proposition to him right before he died because my World Research Foundation had offices in different countries, and I wanted to put his materials in different places around the world, but he passed away before we could do that. Now, I would like to ask a favor of you, if it's okay, and that would be my books are available on Amazon 
but they're also available on my personal website where I have writings and other materials. Can I share that with your people? Or? I would love that. I'd prefer if they go to your site rather than Amazon, and I'll do yeah. the same. The site is www.lesscomplicated.net. Right. And thank you for that. If they feel better doing Amazon, of course, they're on there. But I'd like to protect and preserve the library. Amazon does not give very much. Oh, yeah. But of course, whatever people want to do is up to them. No, yeah. we. I've told people in the past to skirt past Amazon, especially in cases like this, because I, I know all too well. I have other guests who I've interviewed that tell me all about it. And it's very difficult, the situation that authors are in when faced with these big monopolies like Amazon. Yes. So there aren't many other options than to sell it yourself. So I commend you for that and putting up with that. And I hope the audience goes there and the links will be in the description. So it'll oh, be really great. easy for them to do that. And Steve, Mark, I want to thank you again. I never take any interview for granted. I don't take you for granted. I like the opportunity to share information and what you're doing is very valuable and important. Books are sitting on a shelf un unless they're read and the information comes out. So you're to be commended because what I'm sharing, you're allowing these books and materials to speak. So thank you. Wow. Yeah, I appreciate it. For a long time, my family, my employers, they would see me reading and think, you're wasting time. What is that ever going to, what's that ever going to amount to? And little do they know that there was a whole world available in the form of podcasting. And I think really what is a modern day venue for people to have these conversations, if, if something that's gone on since the beginning of time, it's yeah. just a new medium through which we're communicating. So I would be happy to have you back on. I think we ought to do it sooner than later. So I'll send you my calendar and we can schedule another time to talk and continue this discussion. I hope my audience follows up with you and picks up the books. And yeah, I mean, people listening, be cautious of what could be hoaxers and fraudsters buy these books from Steve here and that way you'll be set in the right direction when it comes to everything rife because there are a lot of people out there selling bogus devices unfortunately when it comes to maybe one last question what about sure. red light frequency is it would that be something that you would recommend people look into or is that another one of these sort of just offshoots of I would recommend people check out Dinshaw Gadiali, mm. his spectrochrome system. He was a Tibetan yogi in the 1800s. He has a full 12-color system that is easy to put together. I have worked with more than 300 people with every disease and illness using the book called Let There Be Light, written by his son Darius Dinshaw. And it was used by more than 500 U.S. doctors in the 1920s, before the AMA said any doctor using color will lose their license, not that it didn't work. So those colors and frequencies are more conducive to the body. And again, it's a pure 12-color system from a Tibetan yogi that is very profound. 
The other systems, of course, I hear a lot. Color is one of my specialties. We have a massive color section. Pythagoras used color in 500 BC, but people need to be aware of, you, you just laid it out, the frequency. Somebody comes and they have a website or they go, yeah, I've got this. Who are they using as a basis? Mm. That is always my criteria. Who's using it as a basis? What are your background facts? Have you done studies? Even though I'm into the spiritual, metaphysical, occult world, doesn't mean I won't ask somebody, what were your studies? Show me a before from a recognized doctor's or professional's examination using whatever you've got and after. Because then people go, well, I used the Rife machine. And I said, did you start meditating? Yes. Did you change your diet? Yes. Well, Mark, was it the Rife? Was it the meditation? Was it the music? Was it the diet? Now, in the bigger picture, if the person's rectified, does it really matter? But in the smaller world, what, which did it? So examine more and don't take things just for granted. I love it. Yeah, and I think that reason is needed in this realm of imagination. I mean, there's magic in these things. Imagination. I love that word. A magic nation. Absolutely. Well, what a wonderful way to wrap this up. I think on a, a lighter note, and fo hopefully folks walk out of this conversation after listening with a greater sense of what's possible. I, and I think that when it comes to health, we've been sold a very narrow view of what's possible. So hopefully this conversation expanded that. And of course, folks, please go to Steve's materials on all this stuff to expand further but until next time thank you for tuning in and immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now Ladies and gentlemen, that is our conversation, our first, hopefully, of uh, a couple with Stephen A. Ross, who was very kind and sent me not one, not two, not three, but five, five of his books. So I'm going to have some reading to do, and I hopefully will have him back on the show very soon. If you have any questions for Stephen that you'd like me to ask him on the next go around sign up for the patreon and leave them in the comments sign up for the Substack and leave them in the comments on this episode of course if you are one of those supporters you got this episode uh, a day early I'm putting this episode out uh, a little late sunday so you're gonna get two episodes back to back uh, today's saturday about to go to Sam Tripoli's show tonight in Broadbrook, Connecticut. So hopefully I'll see some of you there. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're a supporter, come through. There's most likely still a few tickets available, although I'm sure this is going to sell out. It's going to be a great show. Eddie Bravo, XG, Sam Tripoli. I mean, how often does Sam even come to New England? What are the likelihoods that they'll be back? I don't know. 
So I'm going to relish the moment. I'll be there. I hope I see some listeners of the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. I'm going to be giving out stickers and uh, I'm going to be giving out a hit kit, maybe one or two hit kits to some folks if they recognize me or they come up and say hello. I'm going to give them a hit kit. So right on. Speaking of hit kit, shout out to the hit kit. Number one way to get lit, go to the hitkit.us. Check out all the products. I just got a new hit kit today and I was waiting to test the QR code here on the show. It's a very interesting design. I'm guessing that Garrett was inspired by my conversation with Paul Stobbs because... <laughs> oh my gosh. Garrett Rickrolled us on the podcast. Jeez. We're really dating ourselves here. Well, I don't want to play this very much longer. This must be copywritten, but we just got Rickrolled. The hit kit Rickrolled us. And this is a this is a uh, Joker. So I should have expected something. I thought it was going to be uh, uh, wishful thinking. I thought it was going to be a, a link to one of my podcast episodes, maybe the one with Paul. But either way, uh, you guys all witnessed it here live. Uh, me getting rickrolled by my sponsor, Garrett. Um, yeah, that's funny. I mean, geez, you can get custom designs on these hit kits so just think i mean rick roll that's one way to prank somebody but geez i mean depending on how crazy you and your friends are i mean you can really go far with the pranks with these qr codes so have fun uh order some custom designs clearly garrett is over there uh <laughs> relishing in pranking me i'm a little stupefied i don't know what to say now i was gonna give some more shout outs but uh let's just stick with the supporters thank you garrett you're the man this hit kit rules uh i guess i can rickroll people now with my hit kit um so anyways shout out to stefan shout out to rich they are the most recent uh, signups for the Patreon. I don't have a Substack list right now in front of me, but I know there has been a few people that have signed up for the Substack recently, so shout out to them. And of course, Rockfin, if you are on Rockfin, I've got a bunch of awesome content there. I just published six episodes in this past week. Uh, I took a little time off and then i just uh got back into it so if you were following us on rockfin i did not give up <laughs> i'm still there uh we are still cooking and we're doing good on rockfin so sign up on rockfin and check out all the content we we got some free videos too um so go and see those if you'd like but rockfin.com slash my family thinks i'm crazy that's r-o-k-f-i-n rockfin yeah a little speechless from being rickrolled what else did we have to say support the podcast send us a one-time donation at mystic mark on venmo at mystic mark on paypal this is what keeps me going folks you know i don't have uh all that much money to be spending time on the podcast seven days a week i would love to but unfortunately i have bills to pay and i have goals to meet 
So I need to work. And the more support I get for the podcast, the more time I can dedicate to the podcast and the more episodes I can put out for free, the more content I can put out on the Patreon. Uh, Speaking of which, we got so much support in the past few weeks. I have had time to do quite a bit this week. And uh, yeah, I'm really grateful to everyone who has done so. Uh, Do not stop. We could use the support now more than ever we're trying to meet a goal on ko-fi to upgrade the equipment and we're also trying to get up to 250 supporters on patreon we're still about 100 away a little less than 100 now thanks to a couple people and once we get to that 250 patrons a month goal i'm going to be doing at least one in-person interview a month where i travel to a place and interview a person, somebody who maybe wouldn't uh, sit down at a computer for an interview, but would sit down in their backyard or in a sacred place or somewhere interesting, somewhere where there's a conspiracy that's occurred. I mean, we want to really stretch the limits of what it means to podcast. And I can't do it without support. So if you want to see that happen, go over to the Patreon, go over to the Substack and help us meet that 250 supporter goal and don't stop there because once we meet that goal there's going to be another goal because that's how life works you know you always got to strive for greatness and we've been diving into a lot of hidden history conspiracy topics i think we're going to get a guy like tim grimes back on the show maybe tim will come back on the show and uh talk some positivity you know it's the summer it's hot you might be working hard I am too, so I think we need to pick me up. So look forward to that, and who knows? I'm going to bring my portable microphone with me. Uh, Maybe I'll do an interview with XG uh, when we're smoking a blunt at the venue tonight. So who knows? Sign up on the Patreon if you want to hear that. I'm going to try to corner XG and ask him some conspiracy questions while we're smoking a blunt. All right. That's it, folks, for today's episode. Uh, I look forward to seeing everybody in Broadbrook, Connecticut tonight. And go and support my homie one-on-one. I just did an episode with him uh, last week, and it published today. So go and check that out. Uh, Juan and I talked a lot about Yale University, Skull and Bones, and that whole subject which i've been studying and researching hopefully we can get sam eddie and xg down to new haven tomorrow for a little tour we'll see fingers crossed Uh, but yeah hopefully as you're listening to this tomorrow sunday august 13th i will be in new haven uh showing sam the spooky secret society buildings and the graveyard and all the other cool stuff so anyways that's all for me Thank you for tuning in to this episode with Stephen A. Ross. Check the links in the description to learn more about Raymond Reif and pick up copies of his books to really understand how far in a way we've gotten as a culture from the healing potential that we had only a couple hundred years ago. And we're really not that far from it today. Uh, and so much more. I want to have Stephen back on to talk about the secret teachings of all ages once I've read through Uh, the chapters that he published because yeah there's about 10 or 12 chapters that he published that were unpublished so if you're a fan of 
Manly P. Hall's work, I definitely recommend you go and pick that book up. I didn't even know there were unpublished uh, pages of his book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. I've had that book for almost a decade now, and yeah, I hadn't known that until today. So I'm excited to, well, not today, but till when I interviewed Stephen. But you probably found that out today. So if you did, go and pick that up uh, from Stephen's website. Anyways, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Divinely by my ancestors Plus I've got a piece of agri magnetite And I've got a rare piece of dragon skin obsidian It's from a petrified massive big reptilian And if you touch it it will shatter your meridian Disintegrate your soul and send you back into oblivion I blaze cannabis and meditate with amethyst Don't interrupt me I will punch you with my hammer fist And if you touch my gemstones I will grab your wrist And when I wave my quartz wand everybody vanishes Whoosh, blam Alakazam, Azazel Phenokite is powerful and magical fam I leave your belly looking like a packet of ham Blood stains on your hoodie looking like the flag of Japan I'm not a thief, I'm just borrowing these jewels I'm not a sheep, I'm not following the rules I know it's deep and you're obviously bemused Cognitive dissonance, I'm not sorry you're confused I ain't scared of anything, I never show no fear I'm meditating with a zestia like a Rosafia Death is an illusion, but no one hears If you've got cognitive dissonance, you close your ears You parasitic parasite, listen close you got worms in your brain, and it's flipping gross Don't interrupt me when I'm playing on my singing bowl I will grab you by the neck and snap it like a wishing bone I've got some activated crystals and some dream catchers I heal your shack for using tantra and repeating mantras I'm burning frankincense and sage for the soul snatchers I ain't being humorous, I'm healing bone fractures Upper echelon Higher master, dragon energy, fire blaster. You need the purge of all your demons using ayahuasca. The dread will make you grow, this Askarasta. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.